chapter 1. We will be looking at the storm in Jonah. Uh, there's been a couple sermons for those of you who have been here the last year, but uh, praise God, I believe this is the first new sermon that I've preached in three or four months. So I'm, I'm grateful to continue to be able to con- um, gather some strength. And I will, it's a short chapter. I'm going to go ahead and read the first 16 verses. We're familiar with it, but let's submit to God's word and, and enter into the story of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will be quiet for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is God's word. Well, some time ago, less than 10 years, more than five, I was on my way up to my reserve unit. And this was back when I was still drilling in northeast PA. It was about a two and a half hour drive. And I took up I-476 up to north PA. And um, I took a pit stop rest at the Lehigh Valley, which is halfway in between. And I was going up the night before to check into the hotel, so I had some extra time. And, and I happened to have a novel along with me, and I, I, had, I had stopped at a cliffhanger, and it was just sitting there. And I thought, you know, I've got some extra time. 
maybe I'll just find out what's going on in that cliffhanger. And, and it was summer, and it was a little hot, so I, I turned on the accessory to my air and began reading. Uh, now, for you, those of you who know how cars and electricity work, you probably know where this is going. I, I read a little longer than I should have, and then finally I decided to get going, and I turned the key, and I hear the click, 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 click. And then I realized that, yes, I was that guy that just sat in the parking lot and drained my battery with my AC. And so I'm looking for someone who will give me a jump. And pretty soon I find a a good candidate. It's a guy. He's spry. I think he's probably in his 40s. He's got a big pickup truck with his daughters. Looks like they have some bikes they're about to go on, some expedition. And so I flagged him down and he cheerfully pulled his truck over. And he said, so, you know, how did this happen? And he kind of gave me a funny look as I sheepishly explained how I drained my battery. And then I got a jump and my car started right up. I was grateful as they drove off, but a thought struck me. Um, that man was a great neighbor to me, but I don't think he was a Christian. I mean, I could be wrong, but just looking at the decals that he had in his car and the way he dressed, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that he was probably not a Christian. Um, and while it shouldn't have surprised me, I, I realized that I had just gotten so used to being in the circle of, of the church that the idea of a, a good neighbor who was a pagan or not a Christian just wasn't really a, a strong category in my mind. Okay, I'm supposed to help those outside the church, but are they going to help me? And, and, and what do you do with the fact that the Apostle Paul says many times that there's, there's none righteous outside of Jesus, right? There's... We're dead in our trespasses and sins, and the Gentiles are darkened in their understanding. So, so how can they be good neighbors? And yet that's what we're going to see in our passage today. In fact, it's even worse. As we're going to go through, I'll ask you, who would you rather have as your neighbor? Jonah or the sailors? Well, if you remember several months ago in the evening, and I really don't expect you to, but for those of you who heard the sermon, I said that, that the characters in Jonah aren't really black hat, white hat characters where you can just peg them or as stereotypes. They're more complex. They're more like someone in a mystery, like an Agatha Christie character, people who have many desires that, that are boiling up from underneath the surface. And, and here's what I want us to see as we examine God and how he acts and then Jonah and the Gentiles, and how they all come together, here's the idea that we're going to examine today. Good neighbors need salvation. Good neighbors need salvation. And if doesn't, that doesn't make sense, I pray it will quickly as we dive into the story. So let's just look at the story. We, we've read it and then just examined it a little bit. Once again, we have all, all three characters, God, Jonah, the Gentiles, this time it's, it's, it's these pagan sailors. And there's this unusual situation that we see at verse four. We have Jonah and Israelite traveling with Gentiles on the sea. The Israelites did not like the sea. It was a scary place. It was, it, it stood for chaos. And yet this is because Jonah disobeyed the Lord. He was the prophet of God. He had one job to do. God said, go preach to the Gentiles. Go east by land to Nineveh. And Jonah does the exact opposite. He, he goes west to Tarshish, the, the ends of the known earth, by sea. And so can Jonah really run from the Lord? Well, we see that's no in verse 4. The Lord hurls this mighty tempest onto the sea. The Mediterranean seems small today, but if you're in a small boat, it's a pretty big sea. Now, I am not a sailor. I have not done much sailing. 
or experienced the fury of the sea firsthand, but I think we can all imagine that storms are scary. You just look at the surf as, as the waves slam into the rocks in the ocean, or if you, you see a, a, a movie of the sea and its, its waves and its raging, and you, can you imagine if you're in this small boat, and it is the only thing between you and being dumped into this powerful wave of water. And the boat wasn't doing so well. In fact, it uses a little personification, Jonah. It says the ship itself expected to crack up. Literally, the ship says, I'm about done for. And the sailors are just plain scared. They're crying out to their gods for deliverance. And it's always a bad sign when experienced seamen realize they're in trouble. They're thrown over the cargo. They no longer care for their profits. They're scared about their lives. And meanwhile... Jonah's asleep. He's gone down earlier, fast asleep. We don't know why. Maybe he was expecting that, yeah, I mean, this is what's going to happen. God's, God's going to catch up with me. He's resigned to his fate. But the captain is not content to let Jonah sleep. Wake up. Cry aloud to your God. Maybe translation, are you insane? Get up and help us. And so they cast lots. Right? These men are spiritual. They, they recognize that this storm is an act of God. And another time, that, that would be superstition. But this time, is correct. And so a lot is a way to select someone. In this case, find out who is responsible for the storm. And who would the lot fall on by the hand of God but Jonah? And so they say, okay, Jonah, what's going on? And it's interesting how Jonah answers. When he, when he answers, he puts some weight on his nationality. He actually emphasizes that I am a Hebrew. And in, in, in just in the, the way, in the language, he's, he's, he's making a point of, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the covenant God, Yahweh. And, and, and normally he would say the God who made the dry land and the sea. But this time he says, who made the sea and the dry land? I wonder why he might put the sea first. Well, how did the sailors respond? Well, they were already afraid now they are exceedingly afraid. Literally, it says they feared a great fear. That's just the way the Hebrew language puts it to say these guys are scared out of their minds. Or as it said in the Psalms, at their wits end. Now, they don't know the God. They don't, they don't serve God. But, but they know that Jonah does and his disobedience has brought this danger to their entire ship. And so now they say, what do they do as the storm is getting, if possible, even worse and Jonah says, throw me into the sea. And to their credit, they don't want to do that. They try rowing to land. Literally, it says they dug in. They're, they're digging in with the oars. Again, I'm not, not a sailor, but from what I understand, that during a storm, you don't want to take a boat near land. That's actually more dangerous. But that's what they were trying to do, if any way, to save Jonah. But finally, they have no other option. They, they pick up Jonah. They cry out to the Lord, don't hold this man's life against him. They throw him in, and the sea ceased from its raging. It's completely calm. And now, what are the sailors like? They're just as afraid again. They, it says, once again, literally, they feared a great fear. And they respond to the Lord with sacrifices and vows. And we'll talk about that just a little bit more later in the sermon. What we see here is good neighbors need salvation. As, as we look at this story, 
I want to say that the, the sailors were actually good neighbors to Jonah. And yet they very much still needed deliverance. So good neighbors need salvation. This can be jarring for those inside God's people to hear this story for several ways. I'm going to look at two. First of all, we could ask, how can anyone outside of the saving grace of God be good? Right? It's very clear. Humanity cannot do good in a way that can make us right with God. As you, as you look through the teachings of Jesus, as you look through the teachings of Paul, he says there is none righteous, there is no not one. And he, he lists a whole bunch of sins and says this applies to the human race. The scripture is very clear on this. And yet, don't you see non-Christians do things that are good and beautiful in the world? Write beautiful music? Our loving parents to their children. You know, I've received incredible care from dozens of, of good nurses, many of them showing wonderful gifts of great compassion. And I, I know for a fact many of them were not Christians. So what do you do with that? Well, I think we need to acknowledge that sometimes as God's people, we can get in um, our, our bubble and, and because we do understand that we all desperately need God's grace, we only use total depravity as the lens to look at people on the outside. Right? Total depravity means that we can't do anything good to please God. Every part of who we are is in some way affected by our sin. And there's no good work that we can offer to God that he would say, yes, that is acceptable. You are righteous. I accept you. So what we can do then is sometimes, because we have that understanding of needing God's saving grace, overlook what God is doing and, and how he works in people, even who do not know Christ. And we can discount what they do. You know, oh, she painted a beautiful picture, but she still needs Jesus. He's a great father, but, well, he's still a sinner who deserves God's wrath. And we need to, it's almost like we're afraid to talk about anything good that people outside the church could do because we might be calling into question the fact that, well, they still need salvation. Yet how can you describe the sailors' actions but anything as a good thing? Think about how they relate to Jonah. Well, the first of all, they're hospitable to Jonah, who is, he's, he's not part of them. He's an outsider. He's, he's an Israelite. But then when the storm comes, they are the ones that are concerned for the common good. They're the ones that are taking the action. Twice the captain says, I don't want people to perish, including Jonah. They try to save Jonah. Those are good things. And, and that is what you'll often encounter with people who aren't Christians. They're, they're people who are simply trying to get through the storms of life. And of course, in the process, often they improve the common good. And they can be good or even even great neighbors. Elizabeth and I have friends in the area. They're, they're nearby. They're wonderful neighbors. We love them. Clearly don't know Jesus. So how do we make sense of this? Well, it's something that we call common grace. Uh, what Common grace, um, theologian John Murray defined it this way, is every favor of whatever kind of degree or degree falling short of salvation which this undeserving and sin-cursed world enjoys at the hand of God. And there is a way outside of salvation that God blesses the world and the people in it. And he does this by, by restraining sin so that we, we don't sin to the degree that we, we could. 
Uh, he does this by withholding his judgment for a time. He does this, as Jesus says, by sending the rain and the sun. And he does it by giving us grace which is not saving, but allows us to do good in a way, live according, in some ways, small way, according to being made in the image of God. And, and Jesus acknowledges this when he's talking about prayer in Luke chapter 11, verses 11, verses 13. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, would instead of a fish give him a serpent? And if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, Jesus is making a contrast here between imperfect and sinful fathers and and the perfect Heavenly Father, and he's saying, well, even fathers who are sinful and perfect do good things for their children, how much more can you trust God? But he's acknowledging the good things that sinful and imperfect parents do. So we can acknowledge then that there are good neighbors who are not Christians, whether this is being a nurse or a parent caring for the child or inventing a, a product that helps us like the iPhone or whatever it is. And we should not have a cardboard cutout of those who aren't Christians and uh, we should expect them to be able to do uh, good things in this world. And we can even praise our Father and enjoy our neighbors and those gifts that they give us. And really, this is actually a way to be a bridge towards evangelism. Uh, Rico Tice, if you're familiar with, he's an evangelist, and, and he has a pattern when he relates to unbelieving friends. And the first thing he does is he says, I praise God. I celebrate the work of God that I see in their lives. He praises God for, for the good things that they do. He said, then I serve them, and then I cross the pain line. He says, okay, you know, there's some wonderful things I'm seeing in your life, and you know why that is? It's because God has given you those gifts, but you know what? It's not enough. He goes and he says, I'm going to go to Christ and say, you, you, need to be, you, know, you need to be saved and justified, and you need to be brought to him. And then if they, if they are interested, he talks, and if not, if they reject him, he goes back and prays for them. He says, but I begin by celebrating what God is doing. And it's saying you need more. You need more grace. So that's the first thing. It can, it can just take us by surprise, and we shouldn't, because God brings common grace into the world. The second can be even a little more jarring. Unbelievers can rebuke the church by being better neighbors than their Christians around them. Um, you know, we can be honest. There are times when we as a church are a mess because we need grace, um, and we don't live up to the name of Jesus well. And when that happens, there are ways, in, in, in limited ways, that people outside the church can actually show us up by, by conforming to God's law outwardly better than we do. This is the case with Jonah again. I would ask you, who is the better neighbor? Who would you want to be your neighbor in a sinking ship? Jonah, who is sleeping, who brought the problems, or the compassionate sailors that are going, they're looking, they're, they're caring for the needs around and crying out. Jonah is the one who gets everyone in the mess, and the sailors are the one who show the concern. It's not hard to see this story as a rebuke of Jonah, and perhaps a little bit of Israel, because Israel, Jonah represented Israel. Um, this is Israel at a time who was wrapped up in idolatry, and pursuing materialism and power. Yes, they say they follow the Lord. They say they fear the Lord, but their prophet doesn't even love his neighbor. It could be a rebuke. 
Isn't it interesting that when Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, he uses a character that's outside what Israel would consider the people of God to contrast the self-righteousness with the priests and the Levites? We as a church need to be aware of where we're falling short and even being open to receiving a rebuke from the world when we're not following God's law properly. Now, now to clarify, this doesn't mean that the, the world follows God's law completely or for the right reasons. They can actually do it often for the very wrong reasons, for self-serving reasons. It's also true that the world is often super or overcritical of the church and expects things that are not possible. I was talking with, uh, writing with a thoughtful young woman about abortion. She said, well, you know, if Christians really cared about abortion, then they would just adopt all the kids in foster care. There's 60 to 70 percent of the country is Christian, so if just one-tenth of them did it, you know, we'd have no foster problems. But that's just, that's just not realistic. Um, that, that's, that's asking far too much, and you have Far too much of opinions, high opinions of Christians in America, I think it's more like 15 to 20 percent of Christians, the population that, that follow their faith seriously. So there can be unreasonable expectations, but we can still be rebuked. I'll give an example, and it's a very serious one. I think it's the clearest example in the Church of America recently in the last 50 years is the example of sexual abuse in the church. And sexual abuse is a, it's a tragic Betrayal of trust and power, and one of the goods of our culture is that we have become much more aware of it. We've brought this evil to light and took steps to combat, combat it. But sadly, the church lagged behind in that. And in fact, often, I'm not just talking about the Catholic Church, but in evangelical and parachurch ministries, uh, it was often much more likely to bury or ignore allegations saying, well, that would damage the pastor's ministry or that would tarnish the honor of the church. There have been many people who have been unjustly uncared for and left. And we have actually, as a church, had to learn and, and say, wait a minute. As, as hard as a process this is, isn't the fruit of the gospel exposing evil and bringing it to light? And championing the cause of those who who have been abused and, and taken advantage of? And isn't it what the world is actually closer to what God is doing right now? And we need to repent and actually deal with this? We at Faith Church, we, we've learned from some, some in the church, but as the examples outside the church, that's why we have our child protection policy. We take this very seriously as a session. And we'll just say, if there's any time here you are uncomfortable and talk to the elders, or if you're younger, talk to your parent or uh, an adult you can trust, and, and, and we will take this seriously. But in using this serious example, we can say that one of the reasons that it's come to light was actually because of concerns raised outside the church. And so we can see unbelievers can be good neighbors, and, and the challenge to Israel then and the church is that those, those who receive God's grace in a limited way, not saving, they can even challenge us to be better neighbors. They can even bring to light our own sin. Or to use theological terms, I'll put it this way, common grace can be greater than you think. 
God can use that in a way that, that, that's greater than you can think. And, and one of the dangers we can have is that we're so surrounded with church that we discount the work of God and the common grace in those around us. I, I, I'd argue that's what's happening with Jonah. He comes in with a chip on his shoulder. He doesn't want to go to the Ninevites because they are not worthy of possibly receiving God's grace if he preaches a message of repentance. The sailors ask him who he is. I'm a Hebrew. I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a worthy person just because of who I am, that the, the, the position I have with God as part of his people. And we'll see in chapter 2, concerning signs of self-righteousness, those pagans follow worthless idols, but I will worship the Lord. Well, here's how the gospel of Christians changes our attitude. First of all, if we are different, we know that it's, it's, it's nothing special about us. It is the work of God in our lives. So we're not better than those around us, and we're deeply aware of God's need in our life. And then that will put you in the proper place to interact with your unbelievers who are good neighbors in your life. Maybe who even are showing you up and challenging you in in ways that you follow God's law. And this is important because when it comes to the most important thing of our life, We have loving our neighbor, which shows loving God, interacting with God, our relationship with God of the universe, being a good neighbor from time to time to some people is not enough. And that's where we get to the second part of the idea. It's not just that there are good neighbors out there, but they need salvation, too. If it was hard for the Israelites to believe that Gentiles out there could be good neighbors, It is hard for many today outside the church to believe that good neighbors need help from God, let alone saving. Perhaps maybe you even maybe you even have those nagging questions in your mind. Uh, My neighbors, they're not Christians. My coworkers, um, my friends at school, they are so nice. They are so kind. How could they be going to hell? They're such good neighbors. And, and as you swim in the sea of the thoughts today, that's a, that's a very pervasive thought. It becomes very easy for it just to make sense for you, even without knowing why. Well, this story shows that the sailors, too, are in grave danger. They're outside the covenant of God's grace, and they're facing the storm. Now, now let's be clear. In, in this story, God's, God's anger, God's wrath is, is directed at Jonah. But... but looking at the rest of Scripture and seeing that the sailors are in danger, they're not without guilt. And, and the storm here serves as a picture of God's righteous anger and judgment. In fact, when it, at the end when it says the sea ceased from its raging, it could also be translated the sea ceased from his raging, God's, God's raging. And everyone who falls outside his grace will experience this storm, experience God's righteous and eternal punishment in hell. That's the whole teaching of Scripture. And the storm of God wrath shows that too often we look at God's, our relationship with God the wrong way. Right? In the world we say, hey, we're good neighbors. We, we pick and choose the best of our life and, and make the case to God why he should accept us. And here it says, no, you don't understand. The Lord is infinitely holy. He's, he's completely perfect. In order to pass through the storm of judgment, you would have to live a totally perfect life. Every action, all the time. Every motive properly done to live for the Creator. And Christian, when we understand that, then, then we understand that just that you and I are just like our friends who are great 
good neighbors, they're in the same position. Our only hope is to receive the salvation of Christ. Now, again, this is offensive to the world today. And if you're if you're not a Christian, you might say, you know, that's right. I'm not part of the people of God. I'm okay with that. Jonah was kind of the jerk in the story. I'm more like those sailors showing compassion. I might be better than anyone else in this room. I might be a pretty good person. I might be more moral and generous and compassionate. And you know what? You might be right. You might be right. And the message is still, though, if we're relying on being a good neighbor, the judgment is coming. You too will face the storm of God's wrath and your only hope is to receive receive salvation like the sailors. Now, what does that salvation look like? Well, there's a key passage, word in this passage, and that is fear. Now, at the start, the sailors went on their, their normal way of life until they encountered the storm. And then they were afraid, and the storm is driving them to the brink, and, and, and then they find out that this disobedient prophet who fears the Lord, same word, Controls the God who controls heaven and earth. When Jonah says, I fear the Lord, he means that he worships and follows God. And, and, and now they are terrified. Literally, they fear that great fear. And they do everything they can to save Jonah and themselves. But they can't. The only thing they can do is finally listen to God's prophet. They throw him over the board. And now what's their response? They're still afraid. They fear that great fear. And whenever you encounter a hint of your need, or in this case, a glimpse of God's true goodness and his power, you're going to experience that healthy fear. But now their fear is different. It says that, I think I believe it goes deep, deeper. These verses start to speak of them like faithful Israelites, like people who are following God. It says that they fear God, they offer sacrifices, and they vow vows. Probably they're vowing to offer, once they reach land, it's hard to offer a sacrifice when you've thrown all the cargo overboard. But they're, they're, they're promising to fear the Lord. They even start to quote um, God's, the Psalms that God can do as he wills. They're, they're starting to talk like people who understand the Lord. And it's hard to know for certain, but I, I think the book of Jonah is saying that through the encounter of this storm, through the truth of Jonah's confession, as, as faulty as it might have been, these sailors experienced delivered, deliverance to the storm. They even learned to fear the true God uh, by speaking of them as the same language that they would use for faithful Israelites. This fits with the message of the book that salvation belongs to the Lord. God extends salvation even to the people that you least expect. And so we see at least in some way, maybe a complete saving way, deliverance that God brings to these sailors. And yet the important thing is that these sailors received salvation not because they were good neighbors, but because they encountered the living God and they fear him. Now, Jonah is an Old Testament story of God's grace. We know as Christians that his story connects to Jesus' story. And you know, when Jesus' disciples saw him as he truly was in all his glory, their response was the exact same as the sailors in the storm. Do you remember the story of Jesus sleeping in the boat as it's after a, a difficult day in ministry? The disciples row him out on the Sea of Galilee and there's this furious squall that comes upon them. Jesus is sleeping. And they cry out to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In some ways the same cry as the sailors. 
And of course, Jesus is different than Jonah. He wakes up and rebukes the waves and the waters are calm. And what is their response? It's the exact same as the sailors. They feared a great fear. Now, it's a different language, Hebrew and Greek, but the construction is the same. The words are exactly the same. And they say, who is this? that even the sea and the waves obeyed him. They encountered a taste of God and his power, and they were afraid. And yet, the disciples would find out that the one who calmed the storms of the sea would himself be torn apart for this, by the storms of God's wrath for all who fear him. And the point of the salvation of Jesus is that you have only hope in life to be saved by the storms is to reach out and trust in him by faith. It doesn't matter who you are. Even good neighbors need salvation. So people's God, as we, as, we, as we see how God sends his grace outside the church, we shouldn't be surprised when you see unbelieving good neighbors in the world. And, and even if their own good deeds challenge you in the way that you are following Christ. And yet we remember that there is no hope. There's no difference for us to be saved from the storms of God's wrath. We must be delivered by Jesus Christ. So please pray with me. Lord, when we see an example of the severity of your response to Jonah and the surprising way that you rescued those who were beside him, would you remind us, too, that we are burning sticks that have been pulled from the fire. That in your incredible mercy, you have given us grace and kindness and salvation. And so we should rejoice. And also we remove self-righteousness from our lives. And we offer this to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.